Welcome to the Sermo Cast. This is edition one of our new podcast brought to you by Sermo Farm, coming to you from Sermo Farm World Headquarters in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Global Headquarters. This edition is part of our new Feedscape series featuring insights and ideas from Canadian Biosystems, one of the leading animal feed and nutrition technology companies focused on science and innovation and leading the charge on new advances for agriculture and more. I'm your host, Brad Brinkworth with Sermo Farm, and with me today are Rob and Christian with Canadian Biosystems. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, I wasn't supposed to talk during that info or that intro. No, that's that? good. That's good. We're, we're about, uh, about talking here and we're looking forward to some good discussion. We're here to have a conversation. Um, Today, I want to talk to you both about the concept of disruptive technologies in agriculture. And around that, talk about Canadian biosystems and some of the things the team there is involved with, and just overall some of the trends and issues shaping the future in this area. Uh, now, on this concept of disruptive technologies, uh, what are we talking about? Disruptive technologies seems to be this term that uh, you guys have probably noticed. It's, it seems to be come recently part of the cultural lexicon of late. Uh, what it refers to is a changing of the guard, new forms of technology that come along and really change the game, ones that signal a new era for an industry and help an industry transform and evolve to a new future. Uh, the, the definition, if you Google it, it says a disruptive technology is one that displaces an established technology and shakes up the industry. And I guess uh, where that comes down to for us is applying that term to the world of bio-based technology used in livestock feed. This is an interesting area. I think a lot of people are looking at more closely both within the industry and outside the industry. And uh, obviously that's a world you gentlemen operate in. Uh, first, I should make uh, some more introductions. Both you guys are relatively young but you're among the leadership team at Canadian Biosystems. Uh, Rob Patterson, you are the technical director for the company, which means, I think, uh, you uh, direct and oversee all the technical and science aspects of the company, including all the products and the services related to their applications across the industry. Uh, Christian Jones, you are the operations director for CBS, which means you direct and oversee the operations for the company spanning now across the core staff here across Canada, partners and affiliates in the US and more broadly internationally, and of course the operations related to serving customers really now all over the world. Uh, and I, I should give a quick shout out here too that uh, here in the Sermo Farm Studios, we have Eric Smith of Rural Roots working the controls Another Sermo Farm Real Roots mashup. Glad to have him here. Um, so it, as we talk today, I want to go back and talk some of the history and evolution of CBS, some of the examples of the types of things you're involved in now, including this concept of feed science platforms, which I've heard about and I know is really exciting. Uh, but I thought we'd start with sharing some thoughts on where we are now today, talk about the growing importance of feed technology in agriculture, where Canadian Biosystems fits in that world, uh, I know we're in a time of change. Uh, one of the big changes I think many of our listeners will have heard about is this issue of antimicrobial resistance in agriculture. 
and how we're seeing a shift away from the use of antimicrobials as a productivity tool and more of an emphasis on bio-based or natural-based type technologies that are considered a better approach in many cases. Overall, it just seems like the focus is increasingly going to bio-based solutions and just really looking at fresh approaches. I guess anytime it's a time of change, people take a fresh look at what are the options. So I guess for starters, I guess would you agree that that's what's happening? We're in this time of change. And what's your take on where we're headed and what this means for CBS as a company? Who's going to jump in first on that one? Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the original disruptive technology that kind of started CBS. And then, Rob, you can talk about more to the technical aspects of our products that are disruptive. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I like to refer to our president of our company who, who started this business, Owen Jones. Um, he's kind of like an original hipster with this technology. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, you know, this is back in the early, early 80s that he was selling generic drugs. And... Uh, Sounds 80, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Generic Original drugs. Original hipster. Generic drugs. Stuff, right? Very interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it was the 80s and it was white powder. Uh, <laughs> but it was all going but, to uh, commercial livestock. You know, but that was the height of the animal health industry. Correct. You know, you talking about disruptive technologies, that was one of the first ones to come into the livestock production. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Way back into the 50s. And you just had drugs being discovered for human health, penicillins, things like that. Okay. And when it got applied to the, to the livestock industry... You know, all of a sudden production values were improving, performance is improving 20, 30 percent. So that was the first disruption. Wait a minute, 20 or 30 percent? Yeah, you know, you were seeing 20, 30 percent improvement in, pro in performance, efficiency. So the cost of raising a pig or a chicken or a turkey or, cat or, or a head of cattle was, was phenomenally improved. So that was a disruptor right there. So then that you come into the 80s. Yeah. And, and you see a guy like Owen and he's taking it to the next levels, right? So he's going to go uh, take this, the same technology, but for, you know, for a cheaper rate. So like that's, so you're at the height of the, the animal health, the power of the animal health drug, drug companies, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at, at that time, uh, it was, you know, it was all big brands and uh, big companies kind of enjoying all the market share. And then Canada was kind of a renaissance Spot. Patents were still in place. Yeah, some, some of the first ones are coming off, it, off it, patent. And that's what that's what led to the timing of you know these generic drug companies in Canada for both human health and animal health. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the majority of his portfolio to sell at the time was was these generic drugs. But his, you know came on his doorstep this uh, fermentation extract uh, in enzyme supplementation. And it was a, a global food company saying, hey, you know, we know that this has applications in commercial livestock. Uh, are you interested in, in, in representing us uh, in, in Canada? And that's where this whole journey to bio-based ingredients started for, uh, for Owen Jones. Yeah, that's interesting because you, you talk about this journey to bio-based. And Rob, you mentioned this. Uh, kind of paradigm of the animal health and shifting from that 
uh, like I guess the bio-based, I mean, that has health implications too, right? But sure. what's, what's kind of the difference there? It's not, it's not a drug, right? It's, uh, yeah, I think probably the animal health people would say that they're producing a molecule. Okay. They have a compound and the compound is tested and tested and tested within certain constraints. And the compound has to address certain parameters, you know, uh, curing a disease or, okay. or, or, yeah. or reducing a certain condition, whether it's uh, respiratory disease or uh, stocking density stress or, or wet litter or something like that. And so uh, it, it's really the compound, it's the molecule. That's what the drug companies would probably say. Okay. And they're held okay. to this really high standard because you can imagine you get the compound wrong. There's a thin line that you can overdose yeah. on a drug. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the bio, the bio-based or the all-natural solutions, where you're you're looking at these fermentation products. So it's you know stepping back. It's really that you know, lack you know, bacterial-based fermentation. So pickling, for example, or or brewing, for example, okay. would be where that comes from. So it takes a lot of to you know it's almost impossible to overdose to the point of mortality with these types of bio-based. So they're really they're safe. They're, yes, they're natural. Okay. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the difference of, of a of a drug or a compound that way. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting. I know we'll dive into that uh, deeper as we go along here, but uh, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, just you know, anybody knows too. Just human health, human nutrition. You know, all you hear about now is natural, organic things that are more quote unquote pure. Yeah. I suppose like has it been a similar trend in agriculture, like. Has it played out a bit different there? Like on the crop side of things, like grain and, and, and that, that section of agriculture? Yeah, I guess just everything. Probably. You would yeah. see, yeah, like how many, how many organic produce stores were there, especially in Canada, where how much you know, pr- produce production is there in the, in the country in a frigid, cold, six months of the year type of, type of country. So I think one of the big things you see on, the, on that side of things, on the on the produce or the grain side is that rise of shelf space for what you would call organic or non-traditional raised um, uh, retail products. You know, maybe on the, uh, the move to, uh, instead of the mass application of herbicides and pesticides using gene, gene technology to, to improve crop yields. Okay. Things like that. Um, so, so I, you know, I think this is not, this isn't just related to protein production and livestock It's probably everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that shift. And in a lot of ways, it relates back to, you know, the being a victim of the success of that animal, of the animal health side of things, because th- those drugs worked so well. You just get that, addicted that to everyone. It. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that's you know, the right verb. So if you're going to use a little yeah. bit, why not? Okay. So if one unit works. Uh, why not use two and why not use instead of using uh, for a certain 30 day period? Why not use it for a 60 day period? Yeah, and it's and, easy and you know what it does and 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 then it turns into a crutch, too So, uh, you know, we have great producers in, in Canada and North America But you know as as say equipment gets older or the barn gets older you get reliant on you don't really know what the the symptom or the root cause of the problem is. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so it, is it really the old ventilation? Are you not checking the fans? Is the 
is the equipment wearing out? Is the drag on the on the on the auger feeder not delivering a much feed? Yeah. But all of a sudden you 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 can't see because the drug is is working so well that it's covering up a lot of the, the production problems. I hear you. Okay. And yeah. then what we're yeah. seeing too is um, some of these drugs are just wearing out. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, if you have seven or eight drugs to choose from over a 40-year period, 50-year period, and you just mass use them in one geographic area, they just they just start to wear out. We see that in human health, too. You're seeing resistance. Yeah, so, growing. I mean, it's a, it's a principle if you over-rely right. on one thing, uh, whatever you're trying to combat becomes yeah. eventually resistant to it, and those things are wearing out. We've had too much yeah, yeah, reliance like, on that. And, and antibiotic resistance is a thing. That's been proven in, in, in the scientific papers. Um, the jury's still out whether or not, you know, the, the prevalence of resistance in human medicine is related to livestock or vice versa. There's probably yeah. a dotted line. I don't know if there's a solid line yet. Yeah. That's probably a good debate to have with someone, but for sure we're seeing on the, on the livestock side, certain drugs that have been used for certain farms and certain livestock categories are wearing out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was happening before this whole move at a government level to restrict their use came in. Yeah, came well, in. I, I was going to so, ask you guys about that because it seems like now you're, you're seeing a lot more headlines about this and information about this. Okay, we're making a shift. Antimicrobial resistance is yeah. a problem. We don't want antibiotics, things like this, different campaigns happening, A&W. You know, no antibiotics yeah, in yeah, our it's, meat. It's driven at the retail level for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, you saw the first the first country in the world to do it was Sweden. Oh, really? 80s. Sweden. Yeah, little Sweden uh, did that, and and then the rest of Europe followed followed uh, in line over the next say twenty years. And so by '06, you see the EU saying for for all livestock production, you can't use uh, antibiotics for growth promotion. Okay. Only yeah. for treatment. So if they get sick, you can treat them from okay. a welfare point of view. You sick animals, you need to treat yeah. them. So this is really, you know, talking really, we're here to talk about disruptive technologies. So sometimes it's, it's government legislating rules in that then lead to these disruptive technologies. So okay. yeah. all these kind of fringe technologies um, that were kind of coming into their own in the 80s, people working on them at universities and private institutions and even government institutions figuring these things out for 10, 15 years, all of a sudden it got legislated in, in Europe. So they were kind of the first spot for these products to become mainstream. And they sat there for about 10 years. So European technology was always kind of, uh, people looked to Europe to see what they were doing because they were 10 years ahead in terms of legislation. And if you would have, if we had had this conversation, say 10 years ago, I would have said, well, there's no way, the U.S. or Canada is going to go the same way as Europe. Just 10 years ago. Yeah, I would say, because we yeah. had such a low cost of production advantage, why are we going to do this? And then, so the you know, two things. So you see the, you know, um, more and more human medicine, more cases of people, mortalities in on human side caused by what were, you know, used to be just benign conditions. So people in their mid you know, middle-aged people dying of pneumonia or pneumonia complications and where you could just treat it. You just go to, you know, that would, TB, tuberculosis, right? You just go treat it. Now it's, or, you know, get a scratch and all of a sudden you, you, know, you get, necro- you know, skin necrosis. And 
drugs are wearing out. Yes. Yeah. So, so this is, comes in, into the press, and then, then all of a sudden you get the retailers coming in and saying, "Well, we're raising the AWs. All our products are antibiotic free. We're doing it for the, you know, for the good of." Yeah, our our food is better because it doesn't have this right. input. Right, yeah. exactly, and then so then you see people then, don't know, so it's just it's right. simple for people, right? They, and that's they, a whole this, other podcast yeah. where people not knowing where their food comes from. Yeah, we yeah. could probably do that another another <laughs> two hour talk. Yeah, but then so then you see that, and then all of a sudden the governments, you get a cycle, and then the U.S. Uh, I think there was a massive salmonella outbreak a few years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. not the most recent one on the eggs, but it was. Uh, the peanut butter one, I think, is that about right? Oh, the right? peanut butter, uh, yeah, a few years ago, yeah. twelve or something. Yeah. And so you had peanut butter contaminated with salmonella, ago, yeah. and you get some uh, young kids tragically getting salmonellaosis, and and they get sick, and and so then it's the food, the whole food chain gets put under inspection in the U.S. Yes, okay. And yeah. and then they say, well, we're just going to revamp the whole thing, and then all of a sudden, within you know half of a presidential term, you're seeing these 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 milestones coming out. Okay, we're going to restrict antibiotics. We're going to yeah, do this. We're going to yeah. do that. So then all of a sudden, the, then the U.S., the biggest feed market in the world, starts shifting. And then so everyone needs to kind of get, they get caught in that inertia. Yes. Yeah. And so so the, so the EU went no six, uh, antibiotic-free. Now they're totally drug-free in the feed. You have to only be able to treat it animals through the water. Yeah. And the U.S., as of January 1 of this year, went... Similar, so you can't use any antibiotics for for growth promotion, and uh, you can still use for for treating. So if your animals get sick, uh, you can still treat with drugs. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's kind of the idea, like the traditional animal health products. I mean, they were there to treat things, right? That's right. But over yeah. time, they ended up the, the, there was other benefits. They made animals grow better, right? What, right. Know. So you would treat it, and then yeah. all of a sudden, the treated animal would would grow you know, that 20% faster than the untreated, you, you know, two barns on one farm, one barn gets sick and you treat it. And then they end up going to market three days faster than the untreated barn that wasn't sick. So there's something to it, to the drug. Yeah. So it just becomes part of the, the normal program. And so, so feed companies would just put in, you know, like myosin, oreomyosin, these streptomyosin, these types of products. Now they're starting to come out and Canada December one will go the same way as the states. Where you, December one of this year December coming up, one yeah, twenty eighteen coming up. So, so this really so is that that's time disruptive of too. disruptive. Yeah, it's disruptive from a policy standpoint. Yeah. So now you have people that really saying it could never happen here in Canada. Yeah. yeah. They have to stretch, scramble, and be be prepared because that's these are things that are coming in. And they thought it would never happen in their career, and now it's happening. Yeah, it's happening right so, now. So where do you look? Yeah, uh, big pharma. Um, you know, that's people are looking to other spots. So is it vaccines? So, so there's vaccines coming up now that are, we never thought we could vaccinate for. E. Coli, okay. things like this. Oh yeah, coccidio- yeah. you know, coccidiosis, uh, being able to vaccine vaccinate for. But then the other, you know, back to the bio-based products. That's kind of where the things are. You know, breakthroughs are coming through. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the bio-based, it seems to be the best fit as far as, like you said, I mean, that's a whole other other conversation, consumers' perception of everything. But it seems the bio-based is a good fit there, right? And I guess if you're in agriculture, you're just looking at, 
you know, you can bring in an ethical point of view, an emotional point of view, whatever your personal perspectives are on those things. But at the end of the day, it's a business, right? Yep. So what's going to be accepted by the marketplace? And it seems the bio-based stuff is a good fit. And, and Christian, from what you were talking about earlier, you're talking about Owen Jones, president of Canadian Biosystems, back in the day, bit of a visionary seeing, you know, then when we weren't having all this conversation, this stuff has some potential. And now I guess we're probably reaching the summit yeah. or the pinnacle of, of, of where this is really becoming the focus. Yeah, and the, the Rob's right, the, the real break, the real disruptive point is the regulations coming in now. Yes. So, yeah, the technology has been there for 30 years, um, and it's, you know, it's found its place in the market. But uh, the reason why we launched this Feed Science Platforms uh, kind of branding is, is to a w an easy way to talk about how uh, those traditional growth promoting products can be replaced by a uh, combination of different technologies that CBS has been developing over the last 30 years. And, you know, there's going to be more disruption and more uh, things coming out because, you know, things that have been used in the animal feed industry uh, for decades. Um, if you start looking at different components of those uh, products, there's different corners within that technology that might be able to be exploited and different research can apply to different things. For example, uh, feed additives referred to by many veterinarians over the past, their lifetime, it would be foo-foo dust. Uh, now they're running trials in universities doing antiviral studies where you're completely removing uh, virus populations from feed. So that's, virus populations. Yeah. So it's like, it's acting like almost, like almost an yeah. animal health problem. And then right? and then the regulators struggle to okay who's gonna who's gonna uh, deal with this file? Is it gonna be the <laughs> traditional health people or is it gonna yeah, be yeah? Because the, they always want their pound of flesh uh, to they want to be able to put their hooks into something to regulate. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing the regulators uh, well, sparring a little yeah. bit on on terms of where these things come in, and that's actually causing disruption as well in terms of the, the industry not knowing, um, being able to read the train. Yeah, well, I mean, you talk disruption, and I guess that's the thing, right? It's like something, change happens one way or another. In this case, some of these new regs are coming in. I think even within, without the new regs, you guys have said there's been trends with the science coming up in these areas that this is being looked at more and more. But I suppose everything, right? It's like a, a reckoning, right? It's, you have it's, this, this change is happening. We have to change to adapt to the, where the future is going. And they can't, and they being the government, they, they, they have to, they're, I think they're getting to the, to the point of understanding this too, is you can't, you can't take away technology without allowing new technology to replace it. Right. And yeah. so this is, a, this is something that, that, that regulators are struggling with as well. Um, and, and, and these things are regulated by different parties. So you have the bio-based type products, so the all-natural fermentations and the, the, you know, the food type extracts, things like that, um, really traditionally being the part of the feed regulators. Yeah. And then you have pharma, which is tradition and, and, and biologics, so vaccines and drugs being regulated by Health Canada or the health people. And so they're, they're trying to figure out what the lay of the land is. And so if you're going to you know, take away somewhere in the order of 100 plus claims available on certain drugs, 
and, and restrict the use and essentially ban them in a lot of ways, what are you going to let the producers and the, and the feed mills and the, and the large and the small independent farms and the, and the bigger farms use to produce uh, produce a product at a cost-effective way? And so the regulations too are changing based on this down. So this is kind of like an aftershock effect. So you take away. So if, if a producer's, so here's a good example. So if a producer always used um, a certain drug to treat an outbreak of a certain disease in turkey farmers, for example, and that farms used it for 20 years and they've had three options and those three options are down to one. Well, that one is going to run out eventually. Two, if it's a drug, it's going to wear out. So what are you going to let the producer use? You have to let them use things. So the, you're seeing the government opening up too and saying, okay, you know, you couldn't use this just because we're in a we're in, that product sits in no man's land between two regulatory bodies that are battling out oh, right. how to regulate it. So they would mm -hmm. just say it's not allowed because no one wants to touch it. So now they're actually coming back and saying, okay, well we're going to give this a spot and let 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 industry. Um, uh, move these products into the marketplace. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah. you could have. So, Canada was a bit of a, a throwback. Uh, we're, we're pretty. We're more regulated than the U.S. and we're more regulated than some other countries in the world, but we're not as regulated as, say, the European Union. Okay. Yeah. Or China, uh, or those, or or maybe even Brazil to that level. Um, so now you see some. Uh, actual avenues coming in for where disruptive technology existed in, a, in another market. It couldn't come to Canada. Now you're seeing it actually being able to come to Canada. Oh, okay. Because now the environment here has changed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like our, the industry is different for those listening to this that aren't familiar with the livestock industry. Like you're not, you're not talking about disruption on the order of magnitude of tech. Okay. You know, if you get like tech is cool because like you autonomous have, cars, yeah, or even like the smartphone. Right. Like you yeah, can get, yeah. you know, the very first cell phone I had was an analog flip phone. And so. Battery lasted longer. It did. <laughs> right? Well, but, people, so, celebrities are going back to flip think, think orders of, of iteration. So the very first flip phone to my, my phone I have now, this thing's probably like a thousand times better. Yeah, yeah. You don't get iterations of that in, in our business. Okay. Right? So you're talking you know, 20% better or 15 and that's disruptive. Yeah. So this is yeah. the things that people kind of have to wrap their head around in our business. So it's yeah. disruptive from it, from it, you know, it's novel or it's, we couldn't think it was replaceable, but now it's replaceable or yeah. uh, on the feed side, you know, like the, the orders of magnitude of what we deal with here, even on, say, even compared to human health, like there's not many things that are 10 times better. Well, it's different health. too, because uh, you know, the, the disruption technology by its definition in kind of the, the consumer space is, is just that. It's smartphones, it's autonomous right. vehicles, yeah. it's uh, data speeds. Those are, those are big disruptions. And in our, in our business, it's we got too good, too fast over, you know, from the 50s when commercial livestock production really started. We got, you know, skinny looking broilers that weighed probably, I don't know, how much did they weigh? Like well, a broiler used to, take two, it used to take two months for a broiler chicken to go to market. Now it goes to market in 35 days. Yeah. So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a good example of 
of disruption in itself. And, and what I was going to say is that is that the genetics companies, ones most responsible for that, uh, you know, the nutrition is a huge factor, but the genetics are really the driver behind that growth. Is now they're saying, okay, we're following those consumer values. Here's a slower growing bird that's brown that can live in your backyard, and it'll take that. And it gets sick all the time. Two months to grow, if you want. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like we got to. That's the thing. We, you know, we're a victim of our own success. So you, you, you yeah. And, and, and it's our fault too because we were so focused inwardly on producing these cheap. Cheap's not the right word. Affordable, high quality, Efficient. yeah, product. Yeah. And so, you know, you look back uh, two generations ago to our grandparents. Uh, that say would have grown up through into through the 30s and through 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 the the, the Second World War. He said every dollar they earned, how much are they going to spend on food? And if you go back in history, something like 30 to 40 cents in North right, America. Yeah, now we're something yeah. like I think in Canada we're 10 to 12 cents. Yeah. Of what our disposable income is on food. Yeah. So that's, that's 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 a huge you know the amount of you know the the the, the longevity of people is longer, nutrition's better. And it's all a lot of it's driven back to, to the advancements we made in the in the livestock and food production industries. But then we're, we were so focused on reducing cost and producing these high efficient products that we forgot to tell the consumer about the actual way we got there. So right. How many times have you know people here talking now, uh, just even casually at a at a at a barbecue, said, "Well, you know." You know all those hormones in the in the chickens. That's really what it is, oh, for serious yeah. or not serious. Yeah. Well, we all know this. There's, you know, there's never been a growth hormone approved for use in 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 um, in swine or poultry. Yeah. In Canada, ever, mm -hmm. ever. And uh, hormones for for dairy cattle were never approved. Recombinant bovine somatotropin was never approved for use. In Canada, oh, yeah, we're getting the production. We get the production of milk from our dairy uh, farmers in Canada. That's equivalent. We're top, top five in the world. Top so five. We're, so we're doing right. it without. So, but we forgot to educate the, the consumer along the way. So, so we've so made then, so all, this, this, all these gains, all this progress, but it's right. almost like you haven't got credit for it, right? Because there hasn't been great awareness of it. Right. And then we're the victims in a and lot we, of ways. We do use. There is hormone use in Canada in beef, right? In beef. Yeah. That's it, and that's it. Uh, and it's and it's uh, implants, so that's really the only one that's left. Yeah, and I know changes are happening there too. And I know there's things with withdrawal times, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it never know, meets it. people. And sorry to interrupt you, but you know people forget that it's never in the meat. You're not actually consuming it. Right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. It's excreted out, and it, it stays out on the on the feedlot or on the pasture where the where the animals were raised. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, talking about keep getting off. You know, disruption. Those are disruptive events. They they Absolutely. might not occur in the same time frame as tech. Yeah. You know, how fast was Uber adopted? That's two years. Yeah, exactly. Two years, and then so you just have to multiply things on time frame by ten. I think in our business. Well, that's interesting because when you think about like the speed of technology adoption and things that drive that and whatever, like is that what you're saying? Like for agriculture, it's it's typically slower. Like it's on, glacial. In, in one sense, I think about. <laughs> 
like everybody eats every day. We all depend on these industries. They're massive dollars, billions upon hundreds of billions of dollars represented by these industries. Even when you talk about a 10 or 20% change in something, to me that seems absolutely massive. Yep. But is it a case of just Joe every day, you don't think about that as much? Or? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. So now you're going to start to see, um, so as the 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 regulatory side changes and allows for more products to come in. Now you can actually see things that were say um, locally disruptive. So local disruptive within the Canadian feed market. Okay. It's already been, it's already disrupted say the German market. Yes. Uh, and it said, well, they would say, well, it's already, we, this is already kind of re rejigged how things work over here in Germany or France or wherever it is. Well, now they want to come in. And apply it to, to the Canadian marketplace. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So, so yeah, you're seeing a lot of um, keeping an order of magnitude in mind. Just you know, disruptive things coming in, not just on the on the feed side, feed technologies, feed additives, but other you know new genetics lines coming in on on swine. You're starting to see. Um, I, my guess would be in say, you know, three or four, maybe five years, you're going to start to see genetics of of pigs being changed so that those pigs are actually resistant to E. coli infection. Wow. So, right. That's a, that's disruptive in and itself. Absolutely. To, to the magnitude yeah. of say, uh, what was it about say 30 years ago where we bred chickenella, chickenella susceptibility out of pigs. So we can have some bacon, uh, some pork tartare, pork tartare <laughs> shortly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So right, that, yeah. that, that's a disruptive technology right there. Cause no one would have, everyone was deathly scared of eating pork in the early 80s or 70s. Well, you know, you better not undercook it. You're going to get trichinella. Uh, and then businesses were built around it, dewormers, uh, tramisol, these sorts of products from big multinational companies to deal with trichinella. And then so everyone grew up from a certain age. Like I guess if you're, you know, a Gen Xer, you probably don't like pork chops because mom and dad had to cook cook them to like rubber my wife my, <laughs> trichinella out of my it. wife despises pork chops to this day yeah <laughs> right she's ruined I, them. yeah and then, <laughs> but then so then 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 but then the industry catches up and they say well no we don't we've actually we don't you know you have we forgot to educate the consumer no you don't you're not going to get trichinella from eating pork chops you can actually Cut them different at the butcher. You can actually enjoy these products. They're, yeah, well, they're no, there's such without, good pork. You know, there's like pulled pork and shredded pork, and there's all this good which, stuff. Yeah, you don't well, have. You to, can have you a tenderloin. Have... You can you can cook it to 145, 150. Well, the... internal temperature, and you can have a medium rare uh, pork but, tenderloin. Yeah, what, what people so don't difficult. get is that's that's technology, right? Like it's not. Yeah. Like there's it's when you hear these okay natural there's some of these terms thrown around you know there's there's a lot of baggage that comes with them but I mean at the end of the day most people can agree on making things better right so you know pork is an example like we better got, and safer yeah better and safer and and I want to bring it back to like the, the CBS Canadian Biosystems focus and the products that Canadian Biosystems has been involved with because I know like we talk about a time of disruption a time of change. Things like genetics, things like vaccine innovations have an impact. Those are tools. Yeah. Feed additives are another tool. Everyone's a time of change. You can look at tools in different ways. What I think is kind of cool about this feed additives, feed supplements area is 
we hear a lot about sustainability today. And it, to me, it's, it's another word for efficiency. It's sort of like, how can we get the most out of things? How can we be efficient in any resources we're yeah. using? We're leaving the least yeah. amount of footprint behind. Even the least amount of footprint behind, exactly. And so, I mean, vaccines, genetics, I mean, all you want to take advantage of all of these things. But I, what I find so cool about feed additives is it's, you're trying to really get more out of the feed, right? You're trying to use that more efficiently. You're trying to, whether it's for the animal, for the producer. Um, I guess maybe just bringing it back to the CBS store, we talked about how, okay, Owen Jones starts Canadian Biosystems. Uh, he's kind of at the cutting edge of seeing, uh, having a vision for what these bio-based technologies mean. I mean, what's kind of the story of that? How has that evolved? Like, I know, like, enzymes were a big part of the story mm -hmm. uh, in the early days. Yeah, if you go back, uh, it, it happened just like that. Uh, he all of a sudden had a toolbox of, of enzymes in front of him that, you know, he didn't even really know how they worked. So, we, you know, into the marketplace, good relationships, able to try things here and there. You know, that was, say, for the balance of the, the 80s. And then in uh, 92... Uh, uh, CBS was introduced to Dr. Bogdan Slominski. Right. I wanted to ask you about and, him. And that, and that, because he's he, one of the pioneers, like from a science perspective, on this. Yeah, our, area, our sales right? and marketing director, Mark Peters, refers to him as the father of phytase from his original father research. Father of phytase. His yeah. original research in in Europe. Uh, and phytase would be. Yeah. What are the what, what are the details on that? Enzymes. Yeah. Great. So phytase would be one of the. That's probably the global success story of, of enzymes. So an enzyme, uh, you should you know, talk what it is. Right? An enzyme is a, a functional protein that makes a reaction go faster or makes a reaction happen that wouldn't normally go. Like we have enzymes. Everywhere. Everyone has enzymes yeah. in your stomach. They're on your skin. They're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, but being able to manufacture those at a commercial level, purify them, and 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 make them specific to to the in, to an industry was a breakthrough from the 70s and it was really for you know the brewing industry for wort and for malting uh beer and wine things like that Clarif making making apple juice and wine clear okay yeah and and so then when you apply it to the feed business like phytase was a breakthrough product breakthrough technology in terms of it it allowed Okay, it was okay, so backing up, the phytase was originally developed by a Dutch company to uh, ameliorate mineral deficiency in certain countries uh, that were feeding unleavened bread. Okay. So specifically, uh, you know, countries like uh, uh, Egypt and Middle Eastern countries where they weren't using yeast in their bread and, these, and the kids that were growing up eating unleavened bread, we're getting iron deficiencies and other mineral deficiencies because the yeast produces an enzyme called phytase. Okay. And phytase breaks down a molecule called phytate. And phytate is where, is where plants store all their minerals. And if it's stuck, if those minerals are stuck to phytate, you can't use them in for, you can't absorb them. For, right. Okay. For lack of a better yeah. word, phytase breaks that thing up, that phytate molecule, and all of a sudden, these irons and phosphorus and calcium are available for, for absorption. And so it really developed the food industry. Of course, the market wasn't big enough to, to make a commercial run at it. 
And lo and behold, at the same time, in Holland, in, in the Netherlands, uh, a small footprint of a, com- of a country suffering with a huge swine population, uh, proportionate to their population and their land size, was really suffering from some land management problems. Where do you put all the manure from the pigs? Oh, okay. You can't, you run out of space to spread it eventually. And then it, was, it would rain because it rains all the time in the Netherlands in the winter. And then it runs off into the canals and there's canals everywhere in the Netherlands. And so you're getting eutrophication of the, of the land of the rivers. So the, these people thought, well, maybe I can use phytase uh, in the feed of my pigs and not have to use uh, as much uh, minerals in the feed so that my, my pigs can get their, they're not calcium or phosphorus deficient. So this okay. is a breakthrough. Yeah. And Dr. Slominski was helping to work on some of the pioneering work that was done in, in, in Europe at the time. Right. So he was over there. Like he was he's, over there. He's, he's working on it. He's working in the, in the institutions and the universities developing this technology. So this is one of the first global breakthroughs of a product and that finally kind of hit the markets in early 1990s. Okay. So father of phytase. Father of phytase. Yeah. There's a lot of people working on these, these big group projects going on. And so that was probably the first that probably legitimized enzyme technology on a global global wow, space. Wow, so that was really at that time that was the disruptor. That was the that thing was a huge disruptor. Yeah. So so you could all of a sudden you could uh, you you know you didn't have to use um, dicalcium phosphate or monosodium phosphate to get your calcium phosphorus requirements for these pigs so they wouldn't get rickets or broken okay. bones, and you could use this phytase and use less of this these mineral sources. And then the, the bonus was your your eventually once the product um, became more affordable, you could have a lower cost feed and less uh, emission of phosphorus into the into the waterways through through spreading on of manure on the fields. So this that was you know that's a great example of, of a disruptive technology. Yeah, that's that's it, super interesting. I know yeah. there's lots of things to delve into there. So, yeah, so there's that phytase revolution, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah, and that's where and that's where Bogdan uh, cut his teeth, and then you know where how it relates back to CBS is in '92, '93 is uh, CBS started to um, you know take this enzyme basket that it had been playing with for the past five to seven years. And say, okay, let's figure out how to dial this in. I mean, what, am, what are we working with here? Uh, and, and so, uh, being able to understand the strains that the strains, the yeah. strains that produce the various activities, uh, the difference between uh, GMO expressed uh, high concentrate enzymes versus sure. a more raw uh, type of uh, type of preparation that produces a broad spectrum of activities. Uh, right, what's when the best? You say, like, uh, I mean, we talk about like gay enzymes are in everybody, they're all around us, et cetera, but that's different from a product, right? Like a product needs to be predictable. <laughs> you Correct. need to know what it is and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's the work. Bogdan that... was at the lead of understanding some of those things, right? And then Correct. What you're... is the right calibration at the time? CBS was really, truly a Western Canadian company. So Lots of hard grains, uh, barley, peas, lentils, uh, wheat, canola. Yeah. So um, it synced up really well with the research that Bogdan was doing because he was on working with the substrates, the feedstuffs that these enzymes need to be activated on. 
Yeah. And so he had everything there and plus his knowledge from his uh, years in Europe. And so he was able to apply that and develop, you know, what we refer to as multi-carbohydrates technology. Multi-carbohydrates. Now, I've, I know you guys have talked about that a fair bit. Like, what, what's that multi-carbohydrates mm. all about? Because you go to things like, okay, phytase are sort of single enzymes that get attention. Yeah. Multi-carbohydrates, what's, what's different about that? You, you, we would say the bulk of the product, enzyme products circulating around the world, uh, would be from, they would have one or two activities. Okay. Uh, azylanase and agglutinase, for example, and they'd be produced by one strain of fungus or one strain of bacteria. And, and that's where the first iteration of, of technology ended in a lot of these cases. Okay. So they're yeah. still, uh, you know, they've moved from the landline phone, because we're using the phone as an example from before. Now they have a, a flip phone. Okay. A true yeah. mobile phone. Yeah. Uh, whereas what we've done is we've at CBS is and we made some breakthroughs and we can say we know that in this part of the world you need five different strains. So you know, a trichoderma, Rhesii, Epicillus subtilis, Aspergillus rhesiae, whatever, and they all are specific to certain grain types and certain feed types, and we can blend them all together and have them compatible within one product. And oh, so what okay. we've done is we've added in. So you, you know, you're able to add technologies into one product. So whereas the first generation or second generation iteration of these enzyme products were able to say they were targeted for barley or they were targeted for wheat. Well, we can say, well, wheat and barley are important commodity product feedstuffs in, in certain geographic regions. But there's a whole bunch of other things being grown now. Okay. Yeah. Baba beans, canola. You know, canola is, I think, just last year, the year before, was the number one cash crop in Canada for the first time mm -hmm. ever. So you're seeing a lot of canola being used. Overtaking and so, so wheat, can right? you, and can you, yeah, and can you use, can we adapt our technology platform to be able to keep pace with the feed ingredients that are being used now, as opposed to what they were being used before? Yes, okay. So, so this is... Um, you know, is it is it it's disruptive on a on a micro sense because now, you know, we have customers now that uh, forever they always they always wanted to use soybean meal. Soybean meal was always the gold standard for protein in a okay. in a in a pig diet, for example. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we don't have to use soybean meal anymore. We oh, okay. our, our technology allows for no soybean meal to be, to be used in certain. Uh, in certain feeding programs for pigs. Yeah. So those customers are able to, you know, have the same quality of, of hog raised to market with the same plane of health, you know, for five to $10 cheaper per head. Wow. So that's that, you know, depending on how, you know, where you, what your perception is, that can be disruptive as well. Absolutely. Especially in a market that depending on where you are. So if you're in, Iowa, maybe that doesn't matter because the price of soybeans set in your own state. But if you're in central Alberta, however many thousands of kilometers away, and you're paying exchange and freight and all this sort of stuff, you know, you want to, you, you need some, some technologies to help you use what's already being grown, you know, by on your own farm or at your neighbor's farm. Yeah. So, so and like, compete against those same farmers. That, that's right. In yeah, a lot okay. of ways. Yeah. Interesting. Well, like, so kind of bringing this back to the big picture, 
you know, we know today it's a time of change. Agriculture is being asked to be more efficient and sustainable. Uh, the enzymes component, uh, CBS is an example of a company that has really innovated there toward this multi-carbohydrate thing. And, you know, to me, the simple explanation is you're addressing a number of things rather than just one thing. It's more broadly applicable. Yep. You know, there's lots of ways to use it where you're getting more out of that feed that you're using, right? I think everyone can get on board with efficiency, doing things better, yeah. less environmental footprint, that sort of thing. Um, so with this, the, these feed science platforms, that's how Canadian Biosystems today is positioned as offering these feed science platforms. Multi-carbohydrate technology is one of them. Um, yeah. Maybe the, let's let's transition to some of the other uh, feed science platforms. Like obviously, you know, evolution of Canadian Biosystems started with enzymes. How did you guys even get involved with looking at some of the other things in this area? Was it just kind of one thing led to another? Or? Yeah, well... I think our next biggest focus would be our enhanced yeast technology. Yeast, okay. And um, so, you know, CBS has always uh, had yeast, uh, yeast products uh, in different formulations uh, throughout, you know, their existence or, or at yes. least beyond my 15 years that I've been lurking around and um, uh, it's become a focus I would say since uh, 2000 and, and uh, 2009 2010 and we started to really apply that same philosophy that we did with the multi-carbohydrates technology so let's start from the uh, uh, bottom and really understand how to characterize these technologies. This, what are we looking at uh, in the yeast? Uh, which yeah. components yeah. are we looking at? So um, it might be the yeast cell wall. Uh, it might be uh, the nucleotide content of different yeast extracts, um, the different uh, uh, benefits of, of whole yeast. Uh, yeast you know, yeast is a, as a byproduct from uh, brewing and baking industries. So um, taking all that information, um, using some of the resources uh, from our university partnerships and our uh, uh, research grant partnerships from, from the Government of Canada. And yeah, that, that, is, that started with our Maxigen Plus technology. Okay, um, Maxigen Plus, yeah. That was, that, that was a really big uh, commercial success, I would say, in our yeast space. And... Uh, a lot of that was driven off uh, improving uh, the immune system of, of salmon uh, in salmon farming. Oh, salmon so farming. That, that's... Well, yeast is like, that's an interesting thing, right? I mean, people don't wake up in the morning thinking about yeast, but ah, I mean, it's so should. pervasive, right? <laughs> Tell um, us about that. So, uh, I don't know. You could have, we've had long arguments or debates or conversations about um, where would where would where would the modern world be without uh, without yeast? Uh, you probably well you wouldn't have you wouldn't have bread. You wouldn't be able to transform the uh, 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 grain into an editable edible product, edible format that's so ubiquitous across the whole world. You wouldn't have beer. 
you know, you wouldn't have uh, in in northern climates, you wouldn't have an ability to preserve your your produce, so you wouldn't have pickles or kimchi, yeah. cabbage, or sorry, sauerkraut, right? Yeah, any of those sorts of things. So any, any like is a huge. Th- it's it's less of a thing now. It's more of a hobby now. But you know, back when the pirates were ripping across town on their on their on their ships, that's they were it was. They had to. That's do that. how you did it. That's so, did it. oh, really? Right. So, you know, there's always been a, you know, a lot of cultures an association of yeast into into their normal everyday diet. So, it wasn't too big of a stretch to to apply yeast into the animals that they were raising in their backyard. Take it a hundred years ago. Uh, yeah, you know, the run of the mill farm was two cows and a um, handful of chickens and and, and a couple pigs grow you know down the road from from the baker or from the the brewery and so then this is how the yeast yeast kind of got into this into this business is you would get leftover stillage from the the brewery and then you you know liquid feed it slop it into your your cows and all of a sudden they they, they do start you know they're, they're healthy or they miss it when you don't have it in so all we've done is we've just you know, peeled back what it was in that slurry that was causing or being responsible for for the health benefits. And so, okay, so you know, we've just idea. put a bit of a, a a microscope to it and said, well, it's not just is it is it the type of yeast? Is it the amount of yeast? Is it uh, is it a certain part of the yeast? Is it the inside or the outside? The whole thing? Does it have to be alive? Does it have to be not alive? What 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 is it? So, I think we made a lot of leaps and bounds there, and we're close to coming out. We we had a product that we developed, and we were a bit ahead of the you know a bit ahead of the curve where we were uh, developing products that could be used in place of these antibiotics that we were talking about before. And we you know we developed that seven eight years ago. That um, long ago, seven or eight years. Yeah, and it, it evolved out of the out of the aquaculture business, but we were applying it to to the poultry business and the swine business seven eight years ago. So now come again back to what we were saying so now all of a sudden come december 1 of this year or january 1 of this year in the states december 1 this year in canada all of a sudden there's a big house for these products to live in right okay um, yeah so so you know we the planning has already been it, it, we've done a lot of the planning we've done a lot of the research we've done a lot of the validation work so uh you know the maybe the disruption's not the, the, the product technology per se, but the disruption was uh, uh, the regulatory standpoint and the regulatory framework that changed and allowed for the adoption or the need actually. Yeah, that's driving great. people to look at this, right? Yeah, like, that's yeah. right. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Well, one, uh, just looking at doing a bit of research for this podcast, I mean, one concept that kind of jumped out at me was this concept of natural growth promoters. So when you're talking this bio-based area and you're kind of saying, okay, well, some of the traditional things like antimicrobials used beyond just health purposes, um, you know, those, I guess you always hear, okay, well, you can't use these things for growth promotion anymore. So I guess, you know, from an industry standpoint, you're as a, a farmer, as an industry, you're sitting there saying, okay, well, how do we give up this thing that has helped us, but still be efficient, still be sustainable, still look after these things. Um, 
yeast is a bio-based option like what is that that concept of natural growth promoter like the things that you're learning from a science perspective like what can we do with yeast in agriculture like are we how advanced are we? Are we scratching the surface or what's, what's the potential? I don't think there? we're scratching the surface. I think, I think there's a lot of people in the field in that space. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of work being looked at people looking, looking at that exact question that you asked. Yeah. What can we do? So, well, okay. All natural to me means, um, it's not a molecule. So you're not refining, a synthetic compound oh, okay. that yeah. has yeah. Uh, that has uh, properties that do a certain thing. So synthesizing or refining. So penicillin being a chemical that comes from the penicillium genus of fungus. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, in a you know, we're using the the we're kind of coming in a parallel path, but we're not using the refined molecule purified and synthesized. We're using a broad spectrum of what these bacteria or fungus or organisms can produce and then just honing in and refining it a little bit okay. as opposed to synthesizing. Okay. I gotcha. What can okay. they do? All natural. So I'm seeing this already in the, in the U.S. where large uh, companies involved in the large, man, large production of uh, say turkey. So okay. whole turkeys for Thanksgiving, whole turkeys for Christmas, uh, uh, rolled turkey, turkey rolls, turkey sausage, things like that, where they lost these traditional medications that they were reliant upon to, to hit certain performance targets. And now those are gone and they're struggling. They lost 3% of performance. 3%. Yeah. They're down 3 to 5% on what their target would be. So they're just searching for anything that they can use in that natural category to gain that performance back. So we've actually been quite successful with working with a number of these companies to regain that lost ground. And do, you know, we have a pretty good idea where, how that's coming, how we're achieving that from a mode of action as well. Um, but it's not just, you know, we're, we're seeing this systematically, it, you know, in Eastern Canada, Western Canada, the U.S., Midwest U.S., Eastern Seaboard U.S. So it seems to be, you know, seem, you know, we're getting success in all sorts of different areas. Yeah, that's very interesting. When you keep coming back to that science point, right? Like you, like Christian, you mentioned about back in the old days, looking at some of this natural stuff as the foo-foo dust or whatever. Like, I mean, we're, I, I know there's a lot of players in the industry. Uh, I know from what I understand about Canadian Biosystems, it's been kind of a science-first company. And you mentioned the relationship with Bogdan Slominski and University of Manitoba. Like, is, Christian, is that what you, you would point to today as kind of something that's directing you guys to the future here? Because I know you're learning things from the research studies and that's shaping the product category. Yeah, no, that, that relationship with the University of Manitoba is absolutely critical for our success. And... Um, since then, we've, you know, as, we, as we've extended, expanded from Western Canada <clears throat> to Eastern Canada, to Quebec, to the Maritimes, uh, and internationally, it's, it's important uh, that university uh, relationship uh, as a whole, oh, and, and wherever you're participating in, in the business. 
because um, you know when you're when you're going to the Philippines and you're showing uh, some some data from Western Canada, uh, you know they're going to see these great performance improvements and and all sorts of benefits, but they're going to say, hey, well, uh, you know we're feeding palm kernel meal out here, and uh, and we don't have winter. <laughs> And we're tropical. Right. Well, I guess like every place in the world, it's different environmental factors. It's different feedstuffs that they have. It's different economics. Yeah. 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 And even even small, small uh, gradients of difference can make or change can can affect um, an outcome within a commercial marketplace. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's really changed our language from product to platform. Oh, platform. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's that multi-carbohydrates platform. So the success that we built in Western Canada, we can take that same uh, methodology for everything from uh, ingredient validate, ingredient evaluation, uh, enzyme validation, uh, and uh, local university validation. That's that's the, what we're working on most now. Okay, is, is getting a broader. Um, you know, validation of our products throughout the globe through these university partnerships. And that, that builds trust uh, in our distribution partners and our customers and, um, you know, among just in the industry as a whole. Yeah, excellent. Well, yeah, that uh, it just seems like when you look at these feed science platforms, and we'll touch on some of the other ones, just each area represents a lot of potential that it just seems like people are looking at it more players like you guys have been driving it and it's an exciting time to see where it goes uh just looking at another one of the the feed science platforms uh you guys have this concept of grain management technology uh now what's what's that all about like i know uh a big issue in the agriculture industry is just we're getting more sophisticated in understanding the expectations for food safety which i guess ties to feed safety or just anything that yeah. that reflects where your food comes from and when it comes down to people growing the feed that that livestock use you want that to be safe you want it to be high quality i guess just what uh, what's happening in this bio-based feed technology area that is helping address that well i, I was gonna bring this up earlier you know you're talking about regulations and you know technology happening first regulations catching up but you know they're all kind of chicken and same. eggs yeah. yeah so you know grain management technology we're referring to um, the presence of mycotoxins in feed and how to manage that and you know there's proven technology out there it's an expanding space there's there's proven technologies that do a great job on certain uh, uh, certain toxins and you know there's different technologies that we're evaluating all the time but it's funny to watch the government try to try to catch up because I believe, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's currently illegal, uh, according to the CFIA, to feed mycotoxin-infected feed to livestock. Yeah, U.S. as well. Illegal. And in the U.S. as well. Uh, you you can go to any field uh, anywhere around. Not, maybe not illegal or not permitted. I'm not, not sure. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah, the severity. It's a high bar, but you're not permitted. High standard. You're not permitted. You actually knowingly feed contaminated grains. And okay. you can't find a sample of feed uh, anywhere yeah. in the world that that doesn't have a small amount of contamination today. Well, I mean, that's a problem. Like, as, as you guys know, 
Sermo Farm does a lot of work in agriculture, and I know that there's been a lot of advances in things like analysis of grains. Yeah. And, and like everything, we're you know it, you can find anything. That, <laughs> the that, more our analysis improves, so yeah, exactly. a zero tolerance or a zero, you're you're never. Part, I don't know if part, you can ever get parts that. Parts per trillion right? now, right? right. What's the yeah. Parts per trillion. That's a tablespoon in a swimming in an Olympic size swimming pool. Jeez, I yeah, think. Yeah. So we can detect that now. So that right. That's, that's a, a high that, expectation. That's, a success, to reach. that's also a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I think the 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 talk now is that this this mycotoxin contamination is uh, one of those underlying factors that's been a problem for a long time yes, okay. that we yeah. didn't even know. Yeah. And guess what? It was getting covered up by drugs. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. this is one of the things. So you start peeling back what right. was being covered yeah. up. So that's one of those things that would, was just sort of taken care of right. by one so, of these broad brush approaches. So what do these, right, what do these yeah. things, these, these toxins do? They depress growth. They depress feed intake. Uh, uh, they have reproductive uh, implications. Reproduction, uh, plane of immunity is depressed. Uh, the, there's actual toxins that'll be uh, that'll actually reduce the white blood cell count. Uh, white blood cells being important for mounting an immune defense. So these, you know, it's not just lesions and it's not just abortions in in certain animals. It's it's actual or you know vomiting it's it's actual you know subclinical toxicosis and you could overcome that or you wouldn't see it if you were feeding these if you had a program that was based on feeding from start to finish a lot of these traditional antibiotic type products you pull that back and all of a sudden you you put in you have your bio-based solutions so you put in your enzyme yeah that helps a little bit you put in your yeast-based uh, enhanced yeast technology that helps a little bit, but you're still struggling. You're still missing one or two percentage points. Right. Well, what is it? Well, maybe it's this underlying subacute chronic toxicosis. And so now we're doing a lot of work, us, but around the world of characterizing right. surveys. <clears throat> and it, it's probably going to be something like this that there's just no safe level. There is no right. safe well, level. And there, I guess there, even there, when you no talk, there's no minimum that, that yeah. these animals can be fed and that they'll say they're okay. Right. The, well, the more you can address, the better, right? And there's kind of that big level of more of a food safety thing. Mm-hmm. But I guess under that too, there's just in terms of efficiency and sustainability, any of these toxins that are there, they're going to be undercutting your optimal productivity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. And then the old, the old strategy was if you found contaminated grain, you divert. And so you have a contaminated bin and a clean bin. Well, it turns out the clean bin wasn't actually clean. It was just less dirty because with the, back oh, to the analytics, yeah. you can continue to find, um, I think every year they find a different type of a family of mycotoxins. So there's 20 something different types of deoxynovalenol now that they've been able to characterize. But the dirty bin would get fed to the feedlot. Well, that's not very good if you're the animals in the feedlot because you're depressing that growth too. So what do you do? Do you turn it into pellets and burn it? So that's not very sustainable okay. either. Yeah. So, yeah. so it comes back to that. You don't want to waste anything. So, so some of the things that we're trying to do here on the grain management technology is how do you address, how do you address that sub subacute chronic toxicosis? Do you, do you bind, do you have binding agents that can bind off those toxins? That, you know, that's, that's a legitimate strategy. Yeah. But you can't bind everything. Yeah. yeah. What do you do? 
how do you how do you have that animal? Um, so if you if you know if you're at a not a safe level and you cut it in half, you're still at not a safe level. So there, those animals are still going to suffer some toxicosis. What do you you know? Can you combine technologies and say this will bind it? This technology you borrow from other platforms that we have to help right. stimulate tissue yeah. repair yeah. in a natural way, uh, provide energy to those to those tissues to help them regenerate faster. So those are the types of, um, uh, or even have provision of natural products that are anti-inflammatory because we know that these toxins have a micro-inflammation effect at, at the gut level. So can you, can you prevent that? that inflammation from happening. Right, right. So I guess like when you look at something like a feed science platforms, I mean, you guys have several categories to this. It's kind of like a toolbox, I guess, right? Where you're not just looking at any one in isolation, but you're saying if I'm, you know, here's my farm, here's my livestock operation. What can I take from this toolbox to help me? And it's probably going to be, it's not a silver bullet, right? It's like a combination. Typically right. what, that ends up being the best way to go. What's your fingerprint? What's your, what do you, what's your fingerprint? What do you, what, what, what is uh, preventing your production operation, your production unit from reaching peak productivity, maximum profitability? Right. And, and it's it, going to be it's different. Probably multifaceted. Right. Anyone who spent any time on a farm knows that there's, you know, it's not one problem. It's, it's, it's a or one challenge. It's, it's multiple challenges. So we're trying to use what's your fingerprint, uh, figure out what that is try to get to a root cause or root causes and try to have technologies that'll help. Right, right. Well, uh, just kind of walking those. down the, the technologies. I mean, that's really interesting. We've got the, the multi-carbohydrates that is a more sophisticated approach to getting more out of the feed. We've got yeast that is a very interesting area with lots of potential, even some of it moving more into health solutions. Um, one of the other platforms you guys have in these feed science platforms is functional fatty <coughs> acids. And that's, uh, when I heard that term, it was interesting. So you hear about this, like in human nutrition and stuff where, you know, functional, it's kind of a bit of a trendy type term. Yeah. Like, fats back. Fats back. <laughs> mm -hmm, well, I back. mean, what is, is that? What exactly does that mean? Like functional? Okay. There, there's fatty acids. What's makes something functional? Yeah. So you, we've always used fatty acids. They've always been a component of feed. If you feed lard or if I feed tallow or if I oh, feed okay. oil, yeah. that's fatty acids. Okay. Um, you know, whether or not they're functional to me means does the fatty acid do something right. of a biological nature. So what we're actually finding is, so as opposed to say tallow, which is predominantly, you know, um, saturated long chain fatty acids that are there primarily for energy. You know, if you, if you, if you look at different, different types of fatty acids, well, it turns out they actually do certain things in a functional way. So for example, we know that medium chain fatty acids actually have antimicrobial effects. Antimicrobial. So they'll actually, uh, medium chain length fatty acids will actually go in and they can kill, they have bactericidal properties of their own. This is kind of back to the idea of soap. Soap being uh, a disruptor of the membrane of the of the bacteria. Wow, that's interesting. You know, like I, I know you need to be careful with the language and things, but so you're talking about kind of a natural bio-based element yep. that can have activity that is like a quote-unquote drug. Yeah, it would walk along the same path. Right, yeah. Being careful with my language not to say it is a drug. 
Right. Because it's not. It's yeah. a naturally occurring. Uh, it's a naturally occurring um, uh, molecule in the world. Right. So, yeah. You know, see, you know, eight, eight, ten, six, eight, ten, twelve carbon-like fatty acids have this property associated with them. And if you got, if you dial it back even to even shorter uh, chain length fatty acids, so they're still fats chemically speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oils, I guess. At that, right. At yeah, that it's more the end result, or just what uh, you what, know, defining what they are. So we're not talking about butter here, right? We're not talking about bacon fat or lard or Crisco or something like that. We're talking about certain types of fats that exist in there at a yes. high level okay yeah and feeding those for a specific purpose and one of those purposes is that they tend to have bactericidal properties they tend to um, knock down pathogen populations and at, and at certain certain chain lengths they'll actually help um, the development of the intestinal tract of a young animal but actually the energy mm -hmm. so, so it turns out that if you look at the certain cell types in, in the in the in the gastrointestinal tract of a chicken or a pig, they actually have a preference for these short-chain fatty acids. So it actually helps their gut develop, which is really important for that that, that young animal. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's super interesting. Like, I've been reading about this. I, I, I'm blown away. Like, I didn't, you know, I, to me, I think, like, people look to these black and white explanations, really simplified explanations of things, but, like, things like nutrition and digestion, you know, whether it's well, humans it's or animals, it's it's... Yeah, you and know, you, you introduce something, it changes everything, right? It's complex. Yeah. It's um, it's not a, it's it, it's never binary. Okay. That's what the thing is, right? There's always it's a biological system. So you change one thing for the with the best intention of getting the best result and ultimately that hopefully that happens, but you end up with something else that needs to be addressed at the same time. So it's it, that's why we that's why it's structured as you know, multiple platforms to address all these different issues. Right. So right. that's 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 what we're going at with the with the, with the functional fatty acids. We're, we're we're seeing strong evidence that you know this could be specifically within the Canadian marketplace uh, truly a disruptor. Yeah. Well, I mean that seems that's very interesting. It seems like with these changes, that is one that really seems to fit this alternative type description. Like I know it's more complex than that, but that is. If you're seeing some of these activities and some of these end results, that that seems to me, and I've heard people talking about this, that, that uh, that's something people are taking a closer look at as maybe something that's going to help them bridge this gap to the transition that's happening. And yeah. I know science, in some cases, is in an early stage with this. I mean, this could there's a lot of potential in this going forward. Oh, yeah, it's massive. And it's, it's, um, it's it, I would wouldn't say it's an established technology, but it's definitely recognized in other parts of the world. Well, yeah, I know. You yeah, guys, I was, uh, I was gonna, I yeah. was gonna add that. You know, we talked about how Europe is is way ahead of us as far as. Uh, well, they, they've had to change sooner, right? Yeah, like and, and this technology yeah. is has been proven in Europe for over a decade. Yeah, it it was one of those disruptors that came about uh, because of a legislative change. Mm -hmm. So, so you know those those technology companies in partnership with institutions and universities said, "Hey, this this is happening to us because they got the warning. Oh, six is when they banned the use of those growth promoters. So they said, "Well, here's it's going to happen in 2004 is when it's announced. You have two years to figure it out. 
so then you get the the inertia flowing back into the institutions to find out what what are the alternatives going to be and so uh specifically in in the netherlands and in belgium this is one of the technologies that that evolved out of those those two regions to address this you're not going to have compounds and products that are antibacterial that that are used for this what are you going to do what what can we what can we develop to bridge that gap Okay. Right. And so that medium short chain fatty acid technology is one of those mm -hmm. that kind of um, you know, per percolated to the top. Right. Right. Well, I, I imagine for for us here in North America, like like you're saying, Christian, I mean, Europe has had to change quicker than we have just because some of these regulations and things. So like with some of the partnerships and technology things you guys have been looking at, I mean, you've kind of taken some lessons from there, right, to kind of say, you know, we're not starting from scratch here. What's worked there? And try to apply that more to a, a North American context. Yeah, right. Be the vessel of uh, of the disruptive technology. Right, right. Excellent. We'll just uh, walking through the the platforms here. I think the other, the last one that we haven't talked about yet is phytogenics and probiotics. And again, a couple terms. I think you know people hear those, and while they've in human nutrition, they've heard those terms. Um, I've heard that concept of natural growth promoter attached to that area as well. Like wh what are we talking about? What is phytogenics? What is probiotics? What's, what do those terms mean? Well, probiotics has been around. That, that, that's a term that's been around forever now. That's your yogurts mm. um, traditionally. But a, a probiotic is any bacteria alive, a bacteria or an organism that's alive okay. that you consume that's going to, you're trying to establish that organism's population within another animal or yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Consumer perspective. A beneficial a bacteria. Beneficial, yeah, bene yeah. beneficial bacteria. <laughs> yeah, those yeah, are. yeah. So this is, that's not new. Uh, I think there's some, some new technology going on uh, we're, we're on the, that we've been working on. The phytogenics, though, is, is, is a new term. Phytogenics being any compound that's derived from naturally derived from from uh, a plant so this has traditionally been and you know if you go back in history yeah drugs were derived from plants as well but what this is really focusing on is the uh what in the human space would be described as these antioxidant type products oh, so, okay yeah uh, extracts from blueberries extracts from uh nightshades <laughs> yeah you hear that one getting kicked around yeah, so are, is this are we entering right now uh, the, the Tom, Tom Brady, Brady right? territory? So Tom the Brady's avoiding the, the accept the in our business. We're actually yeah, we're feed actually, science platforms. Yeah, we're actually digging in. And we're saying, <laughs> hey, you know what? Some of these nightshades are good. So, for example, chili peppers. So it turns out that if oh, okay. you can extract the, the the certain component within chili peppers, the capsaicum, capsicum, they will have beneficial effects. Oh, okay. So some yeah. might have anti-nutritional. Some yeah. are. Pro-nutritional, so so that's that's really what we're talking about on these um, on these phytogenics. It's the component of the plant that you're eating when you're consuming plant plant biomass that are actually uh, having a benefit within the within the animal. Okay. okay, it seems to be the least standardized of of the categories that the feed additive categories. I would say. Yeah, it's for sure the wild west. Because if you're going to uh, you know, superstore, you can buy a bag of cayenne pepper. That's quite a bit different than 
a capsicum extract. Okay. And the production that goes into that. And so trying to understand the variance and um, the extract process in that is so, you know, there's a lot to learn, I think, in the phytogenic space. Absolutely. Yeah, very interesting. I would say I would say that's probably one of the more emergent technologies. Okay. Uh, yeah. When you talk about the all natural, the natural growth promoters or the bio based solutions. Yes. Uh, less 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 um, less developers in that space, and the tech it's it's fairly new. I would say it's probably within the last decade. So it's still okay. at the cusp of quite young as far as these type of technologies. Yeah, and a lot of skepticism, um, and rightfully so. Based on the like what Christian was mentioning, lack of standardization, the, the the language hasn't been quite defined yet. Yeah, and so it's um, we've we're we're trying our best to 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 draw some lines and 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 focus on a couple of those different extract type products, phytogenic products, with a with the goal of achieving one or two certain objectives. That being, you know, driving intake. Uh, reducing inflammation, um, and 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 at a certain level too, having some antibacterial, bactericidal properties as well. So it's all kind of coming in, coming to a confluence with all these different platforms, trying to address all these different right. problems that are going to come up here in the next couple months. Yeah, as, yeah. As the the traditional technologies are being being removed. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, interesting. I'm just trying to imagine where you guys sit kind of at the forefront of this. And these changes are coming. Canadian Biosystems is an example of a company that's been a pioneer at looking some of the, at some of these bio-based technologies that are now coming into vogue, not necessarily because we're in a renaissance of the this, the science advancement, to me, what I've heard from you guys, that's always been there. It's keep keeping going at a steady pace. But now the consumer expectations, the expectations imposed on industry, some of these new rules and regulations coming into play, everyone in industry from, from farmers to people up the chain to consumers is looking at, well, what are some of the tools I can utilize to optimize my production and meet all these expectations. So to me, you're, you're kind of saying with this feed science platforms, we have a toolbox here. Correct. So this is, this is something, there's not a one size fits all, there's not a silver bullet, but with this combination of things, this is a pretty good package to enhance your production system. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's really driving towards, um, you know, what's your fingerprint? Every, every, you can have you can have two two hog farmers on the same quarter section of land and raising the same number of pigs, feeding them the same thing, and they'll have two different types of problems. So it's it, it, it's getting down to that individual producer level and working your way back up and trying to figure out what the best solution is for each given operation. Yeah, and not just a, not just in Western Canada or Canada itself. It's it's going to vary. Uh, across the world yeah excellent well this has been awesome today guys just to touch on all these areas and I guess you know for me as I was kind of doing a bit of background research for this podcast and looking at things I I just think you guys are in such a cool area that not a lot of people know about Um, you know we talk about you know just look at the big picture there are many 
Uh, there's been growth in expectancy of human life. Uh, there's increase in health awareness. Uh, there's, there's a lot of big trends that are influencing the sustainability of people, of the planet. Um, and, you know, as people, it all comes back to what we eat and how efficient those systems are that are, that are helping sustain us. Um, it was interesting you guys touched on, you know, examples like smartphones and other types of disruptive technologies. It was interesting. I dug up some statistics. Um, we were saying in 2016... Uh, world compound feed production reached an estimated 1 billion tons annually. Uh, global commercial feed manufacturing generates an estimated annual turnover of U.S. 400 billion. For the compound feed additives industry, the market is projected to reach U.S. dollars 37 billion by 2022, and that's a, a jump from 28.6 to 2016. That's a growth rate of 5.3 over that forecast period until 2022. Now, I mean, I think, you know, most people would understand there's been a, a dramatic, you know, earth-shattering, game-changing uh, uh, advancement with smartphones. According to some of the stats I've looked at, you know, if you compare uh, the compound feed additives market to the smartphones industry, um, the compound annual growth rate is actually higher in the feed additives area. Now, does that surprise right. you guys? Because you just don't hear about that. Well, why would you? People like to go to, you know, uh, either a really nice restaurant to eat or to McDonald's for a five-minute snack. And they, they don't really like to think about it. I, I like to think that people are questioning a little bit more about where their food comes from and that's where these consumer values are starting to drive these regulations from. And I think there's an opportunity for the feed industry to kind of tell our story a bit better and maybe that's why we're here talking about that. Um, and yeah, like it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting business to be in. And you know, there's, you go to these conferences now, there's, more and more young people, uh, maybe not in, maybe not in Canada, sadly, because it's kind of a consolidating market. But the okay. big internationals and the U.S. shows, there's a lot of young people engaged in food production, and uh, some of the trade shows we go to, World Pork Expo. You know, they have they have the commercial side of the show, and then they have the whole uh, uh, show show pig uh, side, which is a whole different culture to go look at and experience, and it's kind of. I really hope that the, the the stereotype is that as populations move into these urban centers, that they're more disconnected from the the their food and where their food comes from. But the questions and the access to information, I hope that people are able to, you know, explore that with a little bit more thought and realism about where the globe is headed. Yeah, yeah, no question. People. People have so much access to know where food came from now more than ever. And there was that gap when people moved into the cities, uh, whatever it was, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And they just say that uh, I think even some, you know, some famous, famous in the news people all the time would say that, yeah, our food just comes from the supermarket. And uh, that would be the old adage. So people are actually saying, well, no, I want to know. I want to know what what happened before that, you know, six 
you know, that, that prepackaged vacuum packed package of frozen chicken breasts from Maple Leaf that I'm buying at, at Loblaws, where did that come from? What, ha what happened before that? So there's more awareness and that's driving that that's backflowing into what we're doing. Uh, and that's, that's what's driving that 5% growth. 5% yeah. is that what you said? 5.36. 5.3. Yeah. Compound annual over, growth rate. Uh, yeah. over gold mining. Any <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the kids listening now come into the feed additive business? Five percent growth. That is that's absolutely that is yeah. this is a cool area you guys are in. Well, um, yeah, I mean to me it's you are what you eat. It's the same for food animals and humans alike, and you know ultimately feed and food are the same, right? What we consume it goes back down the chain where that came from, and you know from what I'm hearing the good news is the options are getting better, and there's more of them. Right. So even these times of change, these times of yeah. disruption, we have some really good options in terms of the disruptive technologies that are going to help everyone from a farmer to an, an ag industry person to someone all the way up to the consumer. So that's, that's mm -hmm. cool. Appreciate you guys uh, spending some time and talking about it on the Sermocast. No, it's been great. Thank you. Yeah, this Any, has been great. Thank anytime. you. Shout out to Eric Smith for manning the controls, Rural Roots Mashup. Thanks, Eric. Farm. Thanks, Eric. Check us out. Uh, stay tuned for more Sermocast and Feedscape series from Canadian Biosystems. We're out.